How's everybody doing? I've missed you guys. Um, I think it's been like two or three weeks. Uh, if you don't know, a little background. My wife and I had our daughter in December and uh, she just has some extra stuff. Uh, so we got out of the hospital like three weeks ago and then uh, last Sunday uh, she decided to be a little, uh, I don't know, she missed her friends at the hospital. So we're back there, but uh, that's where I've been. Um, uh, so yeah, my wife is there with her right now. She's doing a lot better and hopefully we'll be back home in like two or three days. Um, so yeah, anyways, I'm Ben. Um, one of my favorite pastors is this dude named Alistair Begg. He's up in Cleveland. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but uh, I was listening to him and I was like, this dude has like this ability to just read the word and speak like pretty even keel, not, like nothing too crazy. And you just, you're like listening, like, dude, I want to hear everything you're saying. And so I'm like, man, like, how can I be like Alistair Begg? So I'm listening to him. And then it dawned on me, he has this awesome Scottish accent. So I'm going to do the entire sermon in a, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, anyways, uh, so just to give a little background of where we're at today, uh, back in chapter six, we see that Jesus, uh, his ministry is um, just getting a lot of notoriety around the area. He's in Genesaret, and even before he goes there, even before he gets uh, out, people are flocking to him for people to be healed. Um, he heals all these people, and so uh, as, as infamous as it was in that area before he got there, after he did all these healings, more and more people are going to hear of him. More and more people are kind of drawn to what Jesus is doing. Um, unfortunately, you have a lot of your Pharisees and your scribes who are drawn to Jesus for the wrong reason. Uh, they're doing everything they can to like dirty up his ministry, uh, make him seem like he's someone that cannot be reliable. Um, and so this whole premise today starts with what we started with last week, uh, with them kind of throwing these accusations at Jesus' disciples saying they're eating with unclean hands, they're eating with unwashed hands, and because of that they're sinning. Uh, Rob did a wonderful job taking like 30 to 40 minutes last week to explain that these traditions are not God's commands. Um, this is something Jesus was able to do in one verse, so... Sorry, Rob, uh, but verse 8, you leave the commandment of... I'm glad some, one person left. <laughs> um, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And uh, are you ready, Wes? Okay. I now get to take the next 30 to 40 minutes to explain why sin is internal and we need an internal solution, which again, Jesus was able to do in one verse. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Anyways, I like called Rob and was like, is it okay if I open with a little joke? He's like, yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> Clearly it's not. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, <laughs> that was the joke. <laughs> uh, verse 15, there's nothing outside of a person that is going to, um, that by going into him can defile him, but things that come out of a person are what defile him. Um, so before, before we start, uh, let's just pray and uh, pray that God will speak clearly. Uh, dear Lord, we love you. Um, we're so thankful to be here. Uh, we're thankful that we can gather. Uh, whether we, we have missed the gathering from uh, the last year with the shutdown or, or whatever reason, it's just so refreshing to be here with a, a, with a group of people that believe. Um, Lord, I pray that 
as we dive into this text, uh, you would make what is clear in the text clear. Uh, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for who you are. Amen. Um, so, I think some texts are a little more difficult to understand. Some texts you kind of have to chew on a little more. Um, I think this text is fairly straightforward. Um, just to kind of show where we're going today. Uh, we all have, point number one is, is that sin is internal. So, um, the sin that we have starts inside of us. Uh, this internal sin becomes external if it's undealt with. So if we have undealt with sin inside of us, um, it will manifest itself in an external way. And then for this internal sin, uh, we need an internal solution. Uh, so that's where we're going. Um, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. If you are good with the, that summary, uh, there's the door. Otherwise, we're going to spend a little bit more time on it. And I am done with the jokes. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so before we start, let's just read. Uh, I know um, it was already read, but let's read. Um, just 14 through 19. Um, so Mark 7, 14 through 19. And he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people... His disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods, foods clean. I think that those uh, verses there, and if you, if you actually notice, just real quick, side note, 16, it goes 15 to 17, and that's just... Um, 16, when it was translated originally, um, the most modern translations think that 16 was something that was added, not in like some way to conceal anything. All it says is, he, he, he who has ears, let him hear. And um, most people, most scholars believe that that has been omitted. So at least in the ESV, it's not in there. Um, anyways, we're going to see this tension with these verses. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see a tension with these verses, uh, especially in the society that we live in today. And I think the most two obvious tensions that we're going to see is first, the idea that we even sin, right? Um, and then second, that their sin can be dealt with in some legalistic way. Uh, so we're going to address that first tension first. Um, we, we live in this like, I don't know if you know the term postmodernism. I don't know if we're still in that uh, like mindset as a society today, but in like the 20th century, you have these like postmodernists. And if you don't know what postmodernism means, I don't even know if a postmodernist can tell you what they, uh, they believe because everything's basically relative, right? Um, what's true for me is, is maybe true for me or maybe it's not. We don't know exactly what truth is. Um, so we st I think we still live in, and from being in, I'm a middle school teacher, and so I'm with middle schoolers and high schoolers all the time. My building is a 7 through 12, so I'm with high schoolers all the time, too. And I think that I'm going to coin a new term here, and so go ahead and run with it if you want. Um, but I think we're kind of in this era of apathetic postmodernism. So you've got a bunch of people who don't really think truth is out there, but it's just because they don't really care, right? It's, it's more just about myself. What's true is what pleases me. What's true is the way I feel. And so now we have a group of people in our society who are unwilling to call sin, sin. The idea that 
there's this truth, that there's this truth that we sin is kind of absent sometimes. Um, there's a guy named G.K. Chesterton. He was a writer in the 20th century, and um, one of his quotes is, Modest has moved from the organ of ambition. Modest has settled on the organ of conviction, where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about him, was meant to be doubtful of himself, but undoubting about the truth. But this has been exactly reversed. And so what we see, what that quote is basically saying is humility is not saying, I don't know what truth is. It could be a bunch of different things. There's a bunch of religions in the world. There's a bunch of beliefs. And I'm going to be humble and not hold to one of them because there's so many. That's not what humility was ever meant to be. Humility is saying there is one truth. There is a truth that I submit to. And that truth is that there's sin and I'm a sinful person. And because of my sin, I'm separated from God. And so um, we see in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The idea that we sin is vital, and um, we need to understand it if we're going to understand the rest of this passage. Because if we don't understand the fact that we are sinful, then we're not going to care where sin comes from or what sin is or or if it's external or internal, or what solution to the sin is, because we don't think we have a sin problem to begin with. And if you're a Christian and you're sitting here, I hope <laughs> that you have acknowledged that you are a sinful person. If you haven't, then I think we need to reevaluate if you're a Christian or not. Um, and if you're not a Christian and you're sitting here, um, and, and, and maybe you consider yourself a good person, right? You're, you've come to church. I don't know why you came. I'm glad you're here. Maybe someone brought you. Maybe someone invited you. I'm pumped that you're here. Please keep coming. Um, but let's say you consider yourself a good person. I think even you can admit that at least one time in your life, you have done something that's sinful or done something that's evil. Um, and so now that we've acknowledged we're all sinful people, um, to understand what Jesus is saying about sin, we need to first understand what the Pharisees and scribes were saying about sin. Um, in Mark 7, 1 through 2, we see... Uh, it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, and they saw that some of his disciples ate, hand, with hand, ate with hands that were defiled and unwashed. So again, this whole premise, this whole conversation starts with the, with, with the fact that the Pharisees and scribes approach his disciples and they say, Hey, you're not holding to our tradition. You didn't wash your hands before you eat. And because you didn't wash your hands before you ate, you're now putting food into your body that's not clean, and now you are sinful. You have defiled yourself by this external force. Um, I know, I, like, sometimes we read, I think we read the Bible and we're like, duh. Like, if you grew up in a secular or Protestant household, um, wh whatever it was, most of us would say, yeah, we know, like, there's no unclean food. We know that if we don't wash our hands before we eat, it might be a little gross, but um, we're not sinning. Like, we know that. Uh, in our society, though, in America, not everyone knows that. Uh, the other day I was running with this dude from my track team. He's a really cool guy. Um, he's from Somalia. And uh, we were on a run, and I had my son in the stroller with me. And uh, we saw a dog, and so my son is, he like, he talks, but he doesn't talk. Like, at, like a dog is roof, roof, and like, oh, like it's just noises. Um, Batman is na 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 like he does that, but he won't say Batman. So, anyways, 
uh, he get, my, my son's like, roof, roof. And I'm like, oh, there's a dog. And I was like, hey, Sham, do you have a dog? And he, he kind of laughs and he goes, Mr. Nielsen, I'm, I'm a Muslim. And I was like, oh, yeah. If, and if you don't know, Muslims uh, believe that petting a dog, especially if it's wet or touching those animals, is unclean. And so even though we may ascribe, like we may say, like, yeah, duh, I know this. I know this, Ben. I know this. Um, not everyone that we come in contact with does. By the way, just an awesome testimony of God's providence here. Like, no joke. I can't remember if it was the day before or the day of, but the day that I went on that run, I think it was the day of, I was just reading through Mark, and and we're going through it. So I've been reading through it um, every day and uh, most days, and um, that was the passage I read. I didn't even know I was going to be speaking on it yet. It was like a month and a half ago. And it was literally that, this passage where it says, and thus Jesus declared all things clean. And so we had this awesome conversation, a conversation I would have never been able to have um, if I didn't refresh my mind of what Jesus says right there. Um, so God's providence is awesome. But the reality is there are, there are over, there are around 45 million, not million, 45,000, 45 million, no, there's 45,000 Somalian people in Columbus. In Columbus, we have the second largest um, group of Somalian people in the entire, entire United States. So our, our need to be able to communicate this, to communicate this passage, is so clear. I, I hope that we come in contact with them. I hope at, at some point in our life we come in contact with people who do not believe in Christ, and they hold to these views, and we can then communicate, um, hey, what, uh, it's not what's outside of us that's going to defile us. But now let's, let's take a second and look within the church. Are there ways that we do this? What, we may not say like eating a piece of bacon is, is sinful or unclean, but are there ways where we still, maybe not explicitly, but implicitly um, say like, hey, what I do is going to make me, make me clean or, or not clean. Um, I, I, I have this, this kid that ran for me again. I'm just going to be running down my entire track roster for you guys today. So... <laughs> This, uh, he graduated a few years ago, and uh, he's a little autistic, and um, really, really sad situation. His mom died, and he was at the house alone, and uh, like people like broke in and told him they were his roommates, and like it was crazy. So we had to get him out of the house, and um, he's in a respite house now. And because of that, his, his godfather is Roman Catholic, and so um, he wasn't able to pick him up and, and bring him to church with him. And Nick calls me, and is like freaking out, and he's like, hey, Coach Nielsen, Am I like gonna go to hell because I can't partake in the sacraments? And I'm like, Nick, no. Like it's your faith alone that saves you. And I'm thinking about that. And I know that's a Roman Catholic church, and I, we don't have the time to go over all the minutiae uh, behind that. But I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, man, like what are ways that we do that in the church today? And I was thinking about the last couple of weeks, and um, I'm literally sitting at home with my daughter, <laughs> who's like got a trach and a G tube and. Uh, like we're just kind of waiting until our lungs are a little stronger to bring her. Uh, plus suction is like the loudest thing in the entire room and like you wouldn't be able to hear a thing. But anyways, um, I'm sitting there with her and I'm like feeling really guilty that like my wife and son came to church without me and I'm not coming. And, and I'm not trying to make the point <laughs> that you should like, it's okay to not go to church or anything like that. But I, I think we've kind of ingrained in our heads sometimes that there's these actions that we take that save us. Right. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, Man, if I was in church right now, my wife would not let me bring Rosie, so she'd be at home alone. <laughs> she'd probably die, 
I think that's sinful. <laughs> so it's probably a good thing I'm not there right now. But that's a uh, little side note, preface that. that there are, like, you, be in church. Go to church. Um, there's little, there's going to be a time where Sarah and I have to bring Rosie. And um, we're just going to have to trust God, trust God that he'll uh, protect her and take care of her. And that time's coming. But it's not the action that saves us, right? I think another thing is um, alcohol, right? We, I know a lot of Christians view alcohol as sinful, like inherently sinful. Like you take a drink and you are now sinning. And that's not true. Um, a couple of other things that have come to mind, tattoos, entertainment, ha- even having a TV, right? It, like inherently doing these things or having these things is sinful, right? So we see it within the church too. Um, so do we avoid sin if it's, so, so we've established like sin starts within us. It's not these external things. So do we avoid sin if <laughs> it starts within us? Yes, absolutely. Right? We can't just say I can go drink as much as I want because alcohol is not sinful. And No, that's not true. Um, I have this buddy and he called me the other day and he's like, uh, I'll just be honest, he calls me and he's like, Ben, my life's a mess. And I was like, dude, let's meet up. So we met up and he's like, I got to stop drinking. Like every time something bad happens, I go to the bar, I get smashed. And it's bad. I've got to stop drinking. And so this external thing for my, my buddy, if he were to walk into, like I, I would say, if he were to walk into a bar after the confession and the conviction that he made, if he were to walk into a bar and take a sip, he would be sinning, right? But it's not inherently the alcohol. It's his heart. It's what his heart has decided to do with the alcohol. Where, the fact that he has decided to put that feeling above um, his satisfaction in Christ. And so... Uh, we see that um, our, our actions show the state of our heart and we don't have freedom to not attend church or to get any tattoo we want or to drink as much as we want or to be gluttonous with our food or to watch whatever we want on TV. We don't have freedom to do that. Um, but the fact that we are, are Christians, um, if you are a Christian and, and you have Christ and you have a new heart, which we're going to get to, um, gives us the freedom not to treat those things in that way right? It gives us the freedom to turn on the TV and do it in a way that honors God. It gives us the freedom to, uh, to, to drink, take a drink and enjoy what God has created. Um, so while sin starts in the heart, so point number one, sin is internal. Uh, and while sin starts in the heart, this undealt with sin Uh, will manifest itself and become external. So point number two, the internal becomes external. Um, Mark 7, 21 through 23, um, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Our internal sin will manifest itself if it is not dealt with. Uh, We can't harbor evil thought after evil thought after evil thought, and it never show in our actions. I like how this verse is worded. It's so interesting. If you look at the verse, there's like thought words and there's like action words. Um, Just to get like evil thoughts, right? Uh, Sexual immorality, like pride, envy. Like a lot of those I I would ascribe to like this internal thought, right? And then there's these action words, like, Murder, adultery, like you're actually doing something, you're committing, um, you're, you're taking action towards those sins. And, and it's just interesting, like it just shows us that our thoughts become our actions. Our actions 
are because of our thoughts. And it's, it's almost a cyclical thing. Um, and the manifestation of these undealt with sins will have dire consequences. If we just go through the list, just a couple that I wrote down. Um, sexual immorality, right? If we leave these sexual immoral thoughts undealt with inside of us, how many times have we seen politicians, famous people, pastors commit adultery or some type of sexually immoral action? And what I would argue is they didn't wake up one day and say, hey, honey, I'm going to go cheat on you. No, they thought about it. They internalized it. They maybe took small steps and small steps because they kept internalizing it. And so, especially guys, listen, I would encourage you girls too, but I would encourage you, if you are dealing with any type of sexual immorality, any type, even just the thoughts, right? Disregard the actions right now, but even the thoughts, find someone in your life that you can confess that to, right? Moving away from that is confession, is repentance. Um, repentance is moving away from those sins and ways we take steps is, is taking actions in that. And, and we don't have time to get into the minutiae of, of who or how detailed or whatever it looks like. But what I am saying is, even if you're wrestling with those thoughts, it's, it's hard conversations, it's weird conversations, but find someone in your life. You can say, hey, like, I'm struggling with these thoughts. I don't want this to manifest itself. I, 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 need, I need to repent of this. And um, we just look at a couple other ones. Hate, um, the school I teach at, it's kind of in the hood, just uh, to be blunt. But um, there's students at my school who you would never think would have killed somebody. And then you see them on the news, and, or, they, or you see them dead in the news, and they, it's because they got shot in a gunfight or a gang fight. And I don't think they ever woke up saying, I want to kill somebody. But there's this, this hate that develops between these like, gangs and these sections in Columbus and like the north side versus the east side, or, or this group versus that group. And you, they think about it, and there's hate, and there's hatred, and, and, and it builds up until it manifests itself into uh, one, of, one of my students shooting somebody, killing someone. Um, coveting. I don't know if um, Jesus read this, like went through this list, and uh, I'm trying to find the list again. Oh, there it is. I don't know. And, and he read it and was like, and, and Judas is sitting there, and he goes like, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. Like, I don't know if he gave those glances to Judas, but I mean, he, he knows, right? And, and so... Judas is sitting there listening to Jesus, but there's these internal, and there's small actions he took along the way, but there's these internal thoughts, uh, coveting, envy, um, theft, and that manifests itself into betraying Jesus, right? Selling out the Son of God to be killed on a cross. Um, If we go back to hate, we look at the Pharisees with Jesus, right? I don't think any of these teachers of the law woke up and were like, hey, one day I'm going to plot to kill the Son of God. But they did <laughs> because they let these undealt with sins grow. Those are, all those were like pretty extreme. Um, but I think one that we all can relate to pretty easily is pride. I mean, look at what pride does, right? Um, lack of time with Christ. Our, our time is more valuable than, than the time of the universe. How many people have been there? I've been there, right? Um, that pride has become an external action. Uh, worrying about things, right? I have the ability to change. Like, I, I really think worry just boils down to this pride issue of I have the ability to change 
the sovereign God's plan, right? And, and it's something my wife and I struggle a lot, especially the situation we're in. And we have to remind ourselves, like, God is in control. It's okay for us to be bummed out sometimes. It's okay for us to praise God. Um, but this constant worrying that cripples you is almost prideful because it stems from, hey, I have an ability to change the sovereign God's plan. Like when you think about that, how prideful is that? Uh, so while these actions, right, these actions, uh, these, these internal, these things that started internal, that became external, these actions are sinful, the sin started internally, which we talked about in point number one. And an internal sin problem needs an internal heart-changing solution, right? An internal sin problem needs an internal heart-changing solution. So point number three, we need an internal solution. Our solution cannot be external. Um, again, a lot of us grew up, may have grown up in, in the church or have been around the church for a while, and, and, and uh, we say, that duh, like, <laughs> we know that. We know that, Ben. Uh, you're not telling us anything we don't know. Sometimes we may forget it at times, but we, overall we know that. But again, as, as Christians, as people called to share the gospel to other people, not everyone ascribes to this. Um, uh, back when I was single, uh, I, I had a little period out of college. My wife and I dated for like a long time, high school, college. Uh, when I graduated college, I had like one year uh, where I lived with some buddies and uh, had more time, didn't have two kids. Um, it was a cool phase of life. I love the phase of life I'm in now. But uh, me and my buddy would go and play soccer in uh, um, this park in Columbus called Innes Park. And it would be with, like, all the Somalian people. And it was kind of funny. Like, we'd walk up, and it'd be me and this dude, and we're, like, the only white dudes in the entire park. And, uh, and we asked uh, one of our, our friends, Muhammad, and uh, if you meet a Somalian person, they'll tell you their name's, like, Muhammad or Abdul. It's not. They just know we can't pronounce their actual name. <laughs> so um, it's kind of funny. They tell me that all the time. Like, we'd start laughing about it. But I asked Muhammad, I was like, so, like, when I walk up there, the first time I want to play soccer, like, what are you guys thinking? And uh, he's like, you want to know, like, honestly what we're thinking? I'm like, yeah. He's like, are they part of the FBI? And I'm like, really? <laughs> he's like, yeah. But then we figured out pretty quick that you just want to play. So it was cool. Like, we'd play. We'd play every week. And um, we'd go to this cafe afterwards called Cafe National. And if you're ever on the north side of Columbus, uh, there's this thing called chicken sakar. Sakar is just, like, the way they cut it. But then they put these, like, seasonings on it, and there's this bread and, oh, it's so good. Just go to Cafe National, get chicken sakar. They'll charge you a different price every time. It's usually between, like, 8 and $10. Uh, and then the Somalian tea is, like, the bomb. Their Somalian tea is the best. I learned that uh, in the Somalian culture, the tea differs from just families. Like, whatever family it is, they make different recipes. Um, I'm going way off on a tangent. None of this is in my notes. Um, <laughs> sorry. But uh, the tea at Cafe National is the best Somalian tea I've ever had. I've had like three, so I'm not a good litmus test. But um, anyways, we would go into these, we would go into Cafe National and we'd talk and, and more often than not, those conversations would uh, go to the gospel. And uh, I learned that in Islam, there's this idea of a scale. And when you're judged, your good works will go on one side and your bad works will go on the other. So to kind of circle back, because I went way out, um, we were talking about like, how other cultures view this uh, works-based freedom from our sin. But um, 
if one side of the scale is heavier than the other, depending on what it is, that determines your judgment. Uh, so in Islam, if you have more good works than bad works, when you are judged, that side will be heavier, you get to go to heaven. And if not, um, you go to whatever level of hell or whatever type of punishment they have. Um, so we'd talk about this, and we'd ask them, again, they, they believe you can't eat pork, and so we'd ask them, what happens if we had a bowl of rice? And there's it's just clean bowl of rice, all it is is rice, and I took a little piece of bacon, and we threw it in that rice, and we mixed it around. Would you eat that? Absolutely not. They say, no way. There's no way I'm touching that rice. So what if we took, like, a whole 10-pound bag of rice, we cooked it, and we dumped it on to that bowl? Would you eat it? Absolutely not. I'm not going to touch that rice. So why, why is that the same with our, let's just get, for the sake of clarity, let's get rid of the analogy for a second. Why is that the same with our actions, right? We have a good and holy, perfect God, right? We have a good and holy, perfect God. And even if we have, so if you're not a Christian and you were here and earlier we t- discussed sin and you admitted to yourself, yeah, I've sinned at least one time. Even if you've sinned one time, how can this good and perfect and holy God be in a relationship, mixed with you, and still be a good and perfect and holy God? And we'd ask uh, uh, our friends that, and they'd give us some answer. They rehearsed from one of the imams and didn't usually go anywhere. But I think that's true, right? Um, that idea is not only held in other religions— but we do it too, right? Uh, R.C. Sproul talks about how there's kind of three typical um, forms of legalism. You have your traditions that bind you when really you're free. Rob talked about that last week. Um, he calls this loopholeism, but Rob talked about it too, where there's a law and you find ways to get around the law, where like they were hiding the toothbrushes and stuff. And um, we talked about those two last week, and um, then probably the most common is this thought that we can be justified by our actions. We may not explicitly, again, say that we can be justified by our actions, but we do it all the time. Uh, We know we should be in church, so we go to church. Well, the act of going to church did not save you. Uh, We know we should listen to Christian music, um, so we listen to Christian music, but listening to that Christian music did not save you. Tithing doesn't save you. Singing worship songs doesn't save you, and not participating and secular things, right? My buddy who was trying to stay away from alcohol, I'm proud of him. He should. I'm glad. But the act of staying away from that alcohol, God's not sitting up there and saying, hey, good job, man. You're coming to heaven, right? These things do not save us. So whether it's outside of Christianity or inside of Christianity, we all at some point will ascribe to the idea that our actions can somehow save us. Whether that's explicitly, we, we say yes, that is what we believe, or we say, not necessarily what we believe, but in the back of our heads, it's what's driving us, right? Um, we see it in the Old Testament. We see this problem of our works trying to save us, um, this external solution to our sin. In Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, that's in the New Testament, but uh, this passage is reflecting on the Old Testament. Uh, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So that first verse, right, is saying we have the law. The law made us aware of our sins. Um, There needs to be a payment for our sins. So the law required a payment. But by this 
constant sacrificing. There's no perpetual sacrifice for our sins. There's not something that's continually covering our sins. Every time you sacrifice, you go out, you sin again, you have to go back and sacrifice, right? Um, Otherwise, if it would have, if it would have perpetually covered the sins, one sacrifice for all, um, otherwise, so verse 2, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since worshipers, having once been cleaned, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. So if this sacrifice covered it eternally, if, if killing the lamb or the goat or whatever it was covered it eternally, we wouldn't have to do it again. And, and I know we're not out here sacrificing things because we don't believe we need to, but I think sometimes with our actions, we view it as a sacrifice, right? I sinned, so now I need to go do good things. I sinned, so now I need to go to church. I wasn't going to church, so now I'm going to church, so I'm good. I wasn't reading the Bible, so now I'm reading the Bible, I'm good. But these actions are not what are saving us. Um, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin, uh, of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. Think about our actions, right? These external things we do. It's a reminder that we are sinful. It's a reminder that we continue to be sinful. Because if you operate in this legalistic view, you're constantly saying, man, I sinned, well, now I need to do something better. I sinned, now I need to do something good. Um, so we need a solution. We need an internal solution. We cannot solve our sin by these external things. Well, praise God. (laughs) Christ is our internal solution. Um, These next two passages, as we read them, really just take a moment and just think about what's, what's being said here. Ezekiel 36, 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, um, I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What that's saying is there's going to come a time, that time has come, <laughs> where God's people are no longer going to have these hearts of stone. But if we have accepted Christ and we have the Holy Spirit, our heart will become soft. Our heart will become a, a heart that is going to receive God's word, that's going to want to obey God's commandments. It doesn't mean that we won't still struggle, right? Fight against sin. Fight against it but we're at least not going to be not fighting. I can't tell you how many people in my life from high school, um, some, some really close buddies of mine, I just kind of gave up, right? Like I am what I am. Um, our society preaches that to us, right? Um, you are made the way you are made. You, you feel the way you feel, and that's a good thing. And that's wrong, right? Don't stop fighting against sin, but... Let's just take a second and dwell on the awesome, awesome fulfillment of the promise that if we are in Christ, our hearts are no longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. We, we receive God. We want to follow God. And I love this, this second part, uh, that Hebrews 10 passage, 1 through 4. I love this second part. Um, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, this is 5 through 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, right? He's talking to, um, to God. And in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Um, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And then, and then this is uh, Paul writing here when, or whoever wrote Hebrews. Do we know who wrote Hebrews? <laughs> um, no, we don't. But uh, 
uh, when, he, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. God's pleasure is not in these offerings. God's pleasure is not in us trying so hard to do what's right. Um, uh, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we, will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He doesn't delight in our sacrifices. And we can't do enough. He delights in his perfect sacrifice, which is Christ. The whole reason Christ was sent was because we cannot do this on our own. Um, there was a penalty that, that had to be paid. There was a sin penalty, whether you've sinned one time or you've sinned a thousand times. There was a sin penalty that had to be paid, and we could not pay it. And Christ's righteousness, um, Christ's perfect life, and Christ's death paid that sin, right? Because Christ lived a perfect life and he paid the penalty, that perfect life covers an eternity of sins for those who are in Christ. This is all for God's glorification, right? This is all for God's glory. But think about this. Part of God's glory is his plan to have a relationship with us. Like, think about that. Part of God's glory, the creator of the universe, had a plan to glorify himself, and that includes an intimate relationship with us. Not a temporary one, not one that we have to keep coming back to and keep coming back to and keep sacrificing, but one, and if you read verse 10, it says once and for all, right? Once and for all. A payment of our sins once and for all. So your worries, they're dealt with. Uh, your addiction, it's dealt with. Your lust, it's dealt with. Your pride, it's dealt with. All your insufficiencies, all your insufficiencies, whatever's coming to mind right now, dealt with, paid, done. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. But there's a catch. Only for those who are in Christ. So if you are here and you think that your actions or you think there's some other religion or you think there's some other truth that can do that, it's not true. Uh, whether it's actions, tradition, uh, or just the fact that you're a good person, doesn't do it. Only for those who are in Christ. Um, so what I would encourage you to do is, if you are in Christ and you have um, made that statement of faith and you have said, uh, I, I know I need an eternal, uh, uh, I need an eternal Savior, I need someone to cover my sins eternally, um, let's reflect on that. Let's partake in communion. Um, we have the cups. Uh, if you hope you grab some when you came in. If not, they're over there. And at, during this time, just think about, think about those things that, that popped into your head, those things you're struggling with, the things that uh, you know you still struggle with, that war against sin that you have. Think about those things, reflect on those things, and then reflect on the fact that Christ paid them eternally.